Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is Isaiah chapter 52 verses 1 through 6. Wake, awake, clothe yourself with strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, Jerusalem, you holy city. For never again will the uncircumcised and unclean enter into you. Shake off the dust. Get up and take your seat, Jerusalem. Loosen the chains from your neck, you captive daughter of Zion. Yes, this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. Yes, this is what the Lord God says. In the beginning, my people went down to Egypt to stay there for a while. Later, Assyria oppressed them without cause. Now what do I have here, declares the Lord. Indeed, my people have been taken away for nothing. Their rulers howl with mockery, declares the Lord. My name is continually despised all day. Therefore, my people will know my name. So on that day, they will know that I am the one, the one who is saying, here I am. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Isaiah lives roughly 150 years before the Babylonians would conquer Jerusalem. And he was one of God's many watchmen who warned them, every generation keeps breaking the covenant and God has had enough. Isaiah prophesied the coming of the Assyrians and he saw them come and they took out the northern kingdom. They even made it to the gates of Jerusalem. Isaiah prophesied the coming of the Babylonians and he even names the man that God would use to deliver Israel from the Babylonians, named Cyrus, who was the king of Persia that came and conquered the Babylonians. When the Babylonians came, God used them as his chastening rod, but they got full of themselves. If we translate verse 5 literally, the Hebrew says, and now who to me here? That's terrible English. But if you've ever seen somebody at work overstep their bounds and act like the boss when they weren't, and the boss comes in and says, just who do you think you are? Or maybe as a kid in school, you had one of your classmates or even yourself acted like the teacher, and suddenly standing before the principal, the principal says, who do you think you are? God, 150 years before the Babylonians come, even tells them, who do you think you are acting against me? Well, does it seem like God still says that today to his enemies? We have brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the world that are being persecuted and killed for being Christians by radical religions. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries whose governments are arresting them and they face torture and death because that message that Jesus Christ is true God who won free salvation for them, the message that they shouldn't rebel against their government but not obey if it tells them to disobey God, the message that they should be a benefit to their neighbor, which is the summary of the second table of the law, seems to intimidate. Even here in America, we send our kids off to college. And don't kid yourself, evolution is a religion. Radical professors will go out of their way to undermine your children's faith. We turn on a media that sees Christianity as a straw man where a bunch of bumbling bumpkins turn around and, and, and they're so simpletons they would run in fear at the sound a toilet makes when it flushes. And these are what Christians are like. Doesn't it seem like God is hidden and not doing anything? 
Do you ever wonder, how come God, as he said with the Babylonians, doesn't say today to these people, just who do you think you are? Well, that's our sermon theme. Today we'll ask the question, how does God still say to his enemies, just who do you think you are? Jumping into my own translation of the Hebrew at verse 1, God says, wake up, wake up, Zion, dress yourself with your strength. Zion was the mount where the temple was built. This is God looking ahead to after the Babylonians have come and destroyed the temple and everything. Say, dress yourself with your strength. But the Hebrew word used for strength here normally is reserved for God's strength. God isn't saying, Zion, wake up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Put on my strength. Because God's strength is the strength of Zion. Now, You and I have to remember that in our natural condition, we are not strong enough normally to stand up to the temptations we bear from our sinful nature. We are stuck in our sin. We're damned to hell. It's God's strength that saved us. It's God who was able to bear up an eternity in hell for you and for me and for all the world and get it done in a few hours' time on Good Friday. When you put on your strength, you're actually putting on the faith God has given you. God has given you a new man who is connected to him and is alive in him. God says, Jerusalem, the holy city, dress yourself with garments that are your splendor. The uncircumcised and unclean will never, ever again enter into you. Now, if we think this is Jerusalem, we know that Cyrus, uh, after the Persians conquered Babylon, he allowed the people to come back and rebuild the temple. Do you know what? There's never been a time in which we could say that after the Babylonians, the uncircumcised and unclean stayed out of Jerusalem. In fact, when the Greeks were controlling the area, Antiochus came and he sacrificed a pig, an unclean animal, to Zeus in the temple. He despised circumcision so much, the Greeks hated it, they were uncircumcised, that they, when women had their babies circumcised, they killed the babies and made the women wear them around their necks. Who is in control of where the temple was now? I'll give you a hint. It's not the Christians. And they may be circumcised, but they're not clean because they reject Jesus Christ as true God and as their Savior. This is just a foreshadow if we're thinking of the literal city of Jerusalem where the people would be allowed to come back and rebuild, but the uncircumcised and unclean did enter. But if we understand Jerusalem and Zion here are a foreshadow of the true church, the invisible church of all believers, then we can say this is 100% accurate. Because you do not enter into the invisible church unless the Holy Spirit comes and gives birth to your new man and you are connected to Christ. So the circumcision of your heart, your sin has been removed. That new man never sins. You still have a sinful nature, but he doesn't exist in the invisible church, if you will. And Christ's blood washes your sin away by the moment. So the true victory is Jesus on the cross And there only those who have faith who are connected to Christ enter. So let's go back where he says, Jerusalem, the holy city, dress yourself with garments that are your splendor. What is the splendor of the invisible church? Which, because you're a member, what is your splendor? It's the wedding dress Christ puts on his bride. 
It's Christ's righteousness. It's God's grace. It's God's love. That shines out no matter how much God's enemies are persecuting the church. You wear Christ's righteousness and holiness. So he says, Jerusalem, shake the dust off yourself. Arise, sit down, O captive daughter, namely Zion. The bonds around your neck have loosed themselves. He doesn't say get up and pry that lock off by yourself. He says they've loosed themselves, literally in the Hebrew. This is God, in the case of Babylon, used the Persians that, to punish the Babylonians. Then he used the Greeks to punish the Persians. Then he used the Romans to punish the Greeks, etc. But you and I were slaves to sin, death, and the devil. And we have a sinful nature that is the devil's puppet. And we could not free ourselves. The cross of Christ is the sledgehammer that busts our shackles. The, the locks are open and gone. How do we shake the chains off of ourselves? This is every day we live letting our, using our new man that the Holy Spirit has created to struggle with that sinful nature that is a puppet of the devil. Christ has broken the bonds. As we live struggling with our sin, we are shaking the bonds because the devil was the master of our sinful nature. Those chains are broken. And so he says, For the Lord has spoken the following, You were sold for nothing, and so without silver you are being redeemed. God didn't know anybody anything to get his people back. The devil tricked Adam and Eve to fall into sin. God didn't have to come and tell the devil, All right, all right, you've got me. I guess I owe you some money. Here, let me give you a hundred bucks so I could have Adam and Eve back. He said, uh-uh. He said, The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And he gave Adam and Eve faith to trust in that coming Savior. You and I have that trust. So how in a world, even in America, where due to political correctness and the, the religion of, of evolution and atheism, in countries where Christians are tortured and killed today, how does God still say to his enemies, just who do you think you are? It's because God delivers his people from his enemies. And even while a Christian is being tortured... That enemy cannot take the eternal life away from them. They cannot take that they are God's redeemed child away from them. God has saved them. And even if they take their physical life, God will give them that back when he gives them their glorified body and the new heavens and the new earth. So when people are persecuting Christians, because those Christians have already been delivered from the greatest enemy of all, and they will be delivered from all enemies in this world, God can turn to those people and say, just who do you think you are? And on Judgment Day, they will know they persecuted his children. We continue with verse 3. For the Lord has spoken the following. You were sold for nothing, and so without silver you are being redeemed. For the master Lord has spoken the following. At first, my people went down to Egypt to be immigrants there. Then Assyria has oppressed him for no good reason. God allowed the people of Israel to be persecuted by the Assyrians as his chastening rod to warn the people of Jerusalem, stop worshiping false gods. Egypt God allowed a famine to come upon Egypt originally so that the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob, of course one of them was already down having been sold in slavery and raised up to Pharaoh's right hand man, would go down there and would be provided for. The point here is God used Egypt for the benefit of his people and he used Assyria for the benefit of the true people. 
He used Babylon for the benefit of the true believers because Babylon was his chastening rod for those who had rejected him. But men like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the believers, God kept them safe even in exile under the Babylonians. Well, let's jump ahead to the early days of the Christian church. Who was the first ones to persecute the Christians? It was the Sanhedrin. They were in Jerusalem. But you know, God actually used that as a blessing because the Christians then left Jerusalem and spread throughout the known world. In fact, they started calling themselves Christians because they wanted to have a different identity from the Jews. The true Jewish religion was all about Christ, but since they missed it, the Christians said, we're going to make sure we have our identity for being the true religion. Then the Romans started persecuting the Christians, especially because that became the religion of the slave. But the Romans themselves got frustrated. They said, the more of these Christians we kill, the more of them pop up. God used the Roman persecution to grow his church. Let's jump ahead to the Reformation. Sadly, when a visible Christian church, the Roman Catholic Church, was persecuting with an inquisition those who were clinging to the true word of God. I'll use one example. They put a ban on Martin Luther's head. He could never travel outside of the protection of his elector. There were even territories in Germany he couldn't enter into because somebody could kill him and the church would pay them for it. But have you ever thought about the blessing that that brought? Luther was on his way to settle a dispute between two princes when he died. If he had not had that limitation because of the persecution of the supposed church, he would have been able to travel all over Europe. And do you think he would have had the time to write the large and the small catechism or on the Babylonian captivity or on the freedom of a Christian? If God had not used that persecution, Luther would not have wrote so extensively to make sure we understood that the scriptures clearly taught that you were saved by God's grace alone. So the second reason in our text why God still says to his enemies who are persecuting his children, just who do you think you are, is because whether they realize it or not, God is using his enemies for his people. Now in verse 4 we're told, For the Master Lord has spoken the following, At first my people went down to Egypt to be immigrants there, then Assyria has oppressed him for no good reason. And now who have I here? A declaration of the Lord. Because my people have been taken away for no good reason. The nation ruling over my people is shouting mockery. A declaration of the Lord. And all day long they blasphemy my name continually. God had used the Babylonians as his chastening rod, but the Babylonians went too far. Nebuchadnezzar started bragging and, and getting too big of a head. God struck him with insanity for seven years. Nebuchadnezzar's basically, we'll say, one of his great-grandchildren gets so arrogant while having a party, he sends out for the vessels that they had captured from the temple and they start drinking out of them when that hand appeared that basically said, measure, judge, weigh, and the next day Cyrus came. There's no good reason for being God's enemy. It doesn't work out. The Egyptians were blessed by having the Israelites in their border. They had been prepared in advance to handle those seven years of famine because the Israelites, Joseph, was there. They continued to be blessed by the presence of the Israelites, 
yet they chose to persecute them. Well, as we've been studying Exodus, seeing the plagues and everything, that didn't work out too well for Egypt, did it? They were biting the hand that fed them. God's hand was blessing them. The Assyrians, they had no reason to attack Israel other than to be God's chastening rod. You could say that because the highway in which goods were transported down to Africa and Egypt and back up was there, they, they could say from greed they could tax the caravans coming through, but they'd already conquered Damascus. They already had control of that highway. The only reason why Assyria, for their own motivation, went after Israel was to grow their empire, just for an ego path. Didn't work out too well for them because God sent the Babylonians to punish them. Babylon was God's disciplining rod, but they had no reason to come after God's people. And in fact, Babylon was blessed by God's people. Men like Daniel, who truly blessed that nation. There's no good reason for being God's enemy, and we can say that today. As the college professor attacks the Christian young person that's there, they don't realize that their education system existed because of Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon wanting to have trade for people. Yes, the colleges existed beforehand, but the subjects really opened up afterwards. Our public school system, where often the priests of atheism try to brainwash our own kids, public school was the brainchild of Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon. Our nation has never had a time where it's been 100% Christian. But another example of God blessing people because of the Christians in it was spoken by Alexander de Tocqueville, who was an ambassador from France 200 years ago. He wrote in his memoirs, I had absolutely no idea how indispensable Christianity was to the freedom of America. You see, my neighbor doesn't need laws to protect him from me. I love the Lord my God, the first table of the law, and I love my neighbor as myself. So for me, my neighbor is somebody I should be serving and looking out for. He doesn't have to worry about me stealing from him or harming his life. But you will notice as America becomes less and less Christianized, you'll see a correlation of more and more laws on the books. When you have more laws, you have less freedom. The very institutions that are trying to turn our children against us are biting the hand that feeds them. There is absolutely no good reason for being God's enemy. And if you look at anybody who's persecuted the Christian church, any government, any religion, step back and say, did they outlast Christianity? Nope. There's absolutely no good reason for being God's enemy. They are biting the hand that feeds them, the blessings God gives them. And so this is one of the many ways in which God says to his enemies through time, just who do you think you are? They never get away with it ultimately. They end up serving their own demise. Lastly, in verse 6, God says, because of these things, that was Israel being freely handed over, freely delivered, the arrogant sins of mockery and boasting from those God used as his chastening rods. He says, my people keep on knowing my name. And we translate that as a future, but men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hauled into exile, they knew God's name. They saw God at work because God's name tells us everything God does, all the work he does for us. 
Two of those names are used in our text. Put together, we often translate that as the sovereign Lord. The first Hebrew word is Adonai, that's master. It points out like the person who owns the house and everything in it, God is the master of the universe because he created it. Nobody gets to bully him around. Nobody tells him how to rule his creation. He's the master. And the other name, Yahweh, from the Hebrew verb being, it emphasizes that God exists absolutely in and of himself. If you're able to withhold food from me, I'll die. But nobody can stop God from existing. This is why when God promises, he keeps. This is God's covenant name. So the two names combined together says God is promising this, he's keeping it. Nobody's going to stop him from doing it because he's the master of the universe. Let me focus on another name that you and I know, the name of Jesus. That means Savior. Even in times of persecution, Christians are empowered to stand up because they know they have a Savior. They are going to heaven. And so he continues, Indeed, because of these things on that day, my people keep on knowing that I am the very one who speaks. God foretold the Babylonians 150 years through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, even told them who would deliver them, who he would use, naming Cyrus in other prophecies. God spoke to you, and he's told you what what he's going to do. The only promise God has left is the last day when he returns and gives us our glorified bodies and gives us the new heavens and the new earth. God speaks, God foretells, and God does not then turn around and say, oops, can't keep that promise. So he ends this literally in the Hebrew by saying, behold me. I'm here, I'm present, God is saying. You through the eyes of faith, maybe you can't see him standing right before you, but by the eyes of faith, you see God who is hidden working behind the scenes at work for you. And he's also saying by saying, behold me, pay attention to my words. You can bank on them. These are my promises to you. So the last reason God is able to say to his enemies, just who do you think you are, is because God keeps ruling for you who are his people. So we see God delivers his people from his enemies. God uses his enemies for his people. There's no good reason for being God's enemy. And God keeps ruling for his people. And that, according to today's text, is how God still today say to those who persecute his people, just who do you think you are? Amen. Now, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Amen. Let us confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. 
We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Lord of eternity and King of the saints, all the heavens adore you. Saints and angels sing before you. We too join them to praise your majesty. You clothe us with garments of splendor. You bless us with grace and mercy in this life and eternal glory forever. What undeserved love you show us. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us your saints. Encourage us by your gracious promises. Forgive our failures to live as you desire. Strengthen the faith of all who are weak and wandering. Give us power to live as your faithful people. Your saints will triumph forever in new heavens and a new earth. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. We anticipate with joy an eternity of perfect fellowship with you. Be with us as we work and witness for Christ so that many more people can join us before your throne. We ask you, O Lord, to remember our brothers and sisters to whom trials and troubles have come. We ask you, gracious Lord, to bless the vaccine for the COVID-19 virus so that we can return to our normal gathering together with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let the knowledge that your bride, the invisible church, will be triumphant because of Christ's victory empower us to share that victory with the unbelieving world around us. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Lord of life, the day is coming when you will come down from heaven with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. On that glorious day, the saints triumphant will rise in bright array, clothed in your perfect righteousness. Give us strength until that day when we will share fully in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Live in harmony with one another and serve the Lord with gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.